This is 105.9 The Region, and you're listening to Discovery, the radio show for podcasters. Your content, unfiltered. This is Discovery. You're listening to The Content Producers, content produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Hi, this is Gregory Gerard, and welcome to The Slinky. Coming up today, we look at the Olympics. With the 2022 Games currently wrapping up, I felt it was time to take a look at whether they're really worth the time, effort, and money that is spent on them every two years. Personally, I think the Olympics are fun, but are too expensive and too environmentally impacting to be worth it anymore, but let's go in depth. Previous events have showed that many of the courses built to host the Games have fallen into disrepair. Bobsled runs, massive stadiums, and more have been left to crumble, standing out as ugly landmarks that used to be home to majestic feats of athleticism. If countries are just going to abandon the facilities, why bother building them all and hosting the competition? You wouldn't go along with someone if they said, here's a great idea, let's host a month-long competition in multiple brand new buildings that we're spending millions of dollars and hours of work on, only to completely ignore them and leave them derelict after the competition is done. Are you in? The answer is no. No, you wouldn't. Who would be? That doesn't make sense. But every two years, that is exactly what happens with the Olympics. Even if certain venues do get reused, the amount of ones abandoned makes the whole process insanely resource-heavy and resource-wasteful. Now, don't get me wrong, I love watching the games and seeing the heartbreak and joy of the athletes competing. But I think there needs to be a new, cost-friendly approach to hosting. We've already seen many countries stop bidding on the rights to host the Olympics due to the costs. The 2016 games in Rio cost over $20 billion to host, and Brazil was and is still suffering economically as a result. Rio itself had to request a $900 million bailout just to be able to pay the security guards, and several other employees were not paid at all. Those games also had a bunch of promises attached to the people, based around improving Rio's infrastructure, none of which had been filled as of 2021. Now, several of the buildings have been left to decay, including the Arena of the Future, which was used to host the handball events. The arena was supposed to be destroyed and the materials used to build schools, but the building is still standing and no schools have been built. And all of that is just out of one games. The Sachi Games, held two years prior in 2014, cost close to $60 billion. Now the residents have had to pay close to $1 billion a year in taxes to cover the expenses. If you look closer to home, it took Montreal 40 years to cover their debt from the 1976 Olympics. With inflation, you could be looking at games that cost close to $100 billion to put on, and I can't see many if any countries actually agreeing to that. As for the environmental impact, well, it doesn't seem great to me to build a bunch of concrete buildings, which are high sources of carbon dioxide emissions, use them for a little, then let them sit unused. Not only could the emissions from the concrete be reduced, but the impact of clearing any land so the buildings could be placed would be eliminated too. Add on the reduced fuel emissions from any vehicles used during construction, and you're cutting down a ton on emissions. In addition, you can get rid of all the travel emissions for athletes and tourists, the energy costs to power the events, and the waste produced by everyone there, eliminating a massive carbon footprint. The aforementioned Rio Games emitted an estimated 3.6 million tons of carbon, which was reduced from 5.8 million due to the use of energy-efficient and low-carbon materials. Tokyo 2020, held without spectators, still released over 340,000 tons. Now, that isn't a lot in the grand scheme of things, but for a two-week event, keeping in mind these numbers don't seem to include the Paralympics, they're pretty high. In addition, most of the athletes earn very little for their efforts, making the whole procedure seem kind of worthless. While some countries pay well for meddling, several others don't. Some don't pay at all, 
and that money only goes to the medalist. Some athletes can earn sponsorships and endorsements, but just as many have to scrape together sponsors and money to go. Canada, for example, awards athletes only $16,000 for a gold medal. Well, that sounds like a lot. Training and competing for four years just for the chance at $16,000 and the medal doesn't seem really worth it. I can earn more working for four years on McDonald's. Sure, it's not as fun or as cool as competing at the Olympics, but still. And of course, it's even worse if you don't medal. Then you're just showing up for nothing but the experience. To me, it's better to run just the yearly World Cups instead of having the Olympics. Increase the prize money for winning and boom. A pre-planned, multi-country schedule featuring more athletes because you don't have the country restrictions and much less submission. Even building a new venue or two to increase the schedule length wouldn't be nearly as bad as the Olympics. Overall though, if the games want to continue, they'll need a change. Whether they move back to a joint summer and winter program to cut down travel, change how often they hold games to eight years instead of four, or figure out a way to make the games cheaper and more environmentally friendly somehow, without something being fixed, one year, the closing ceremonies will close the games for good. Thanks for listening to today's show. I've been Gregory Gerard. See you next time on The Slinky. You're listening to The Content Producers, content produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Hello, I'm Garrett Werner, and welcome to a special episode of Box to Box, where I speak about all things Canadian soccer. This is why you should start taking the Canadian men's national team a lot more serious. Canada hasn't had the greatest history with soccer over the years, let's just say that. The last time that we had made the World Cup was in 1986, so it's been a while. And heading into this next window of World Cup qualifiers, Canada just needs to take one win out of the three to just solidify our spot in the next Qatar World Cup in 2022. This winter, the main reason why we're in this position is due to the last window when we took on the likes of the United States, Honduras, and El Salvador. We went into that window and not many people were very hopeful for three wins. But hey, we overcame the odds and we did it. We were without key players such as Steven Osakio and Alfonso Davies. Alfonso Davies is currently out with heart problems and we are unsure of when he will be back. But we are hoping that he will be back just in time for the World Cup. So, speaking on that window a little bit more, I mean, look, this United States game was absolutely massive. It was in Hamilton. It was freezing. Which I do believe gave us maybe the upper hand. It does get cold a little bit in the States, but hey, us Canadians... That's nothing to us, that's for sure. So look, this game was huge. I mean, we were without Ustakio and Davies. We didn't think we were going to win this game. And look, everybody played their absolute best. And we overcame those issues. I mean, our keeper, Borian, was standing on his head. He was fantastic. He never seems to disappoint me in these days recently. So, I mean, look. Our chances are looking very, very good. We have to play the likes of Costa Rica, Jamaica, and Panama, which they aren't the greatest of teams. Our first game is at Costa Rica, so it will be the nice warm weather. It would be a very nice time to win, so you could celebrate after. But the game that I will be going to for sure is Canada vs. Jamaica at the BMO, where everybody should be going out. Because Jamaica is filled with quality players from Europe as well. Don't get that twisted. But look... 
It has to be a win. It's as simple as that. We're at the BMO. It's going to be the crazy celebration, the send-off to the World Cup, I would have to say. So, we have nothing but good things to be looking forward to. So, especially with this young team. I mean, look, if you're not a big fan of soccer and you're just starting to get into things, there is no better time for you to be getting into this. You have superstars like Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies who are super young. So you always need to, you know, follow their careers a little bit. It helps you get into the sport a bit more. I mean, look, I've been a fan from when I was young. And I mean, it's called the beautiful game for a reason. It doesn't matter when you want to get into it. Look, you can get into it now. In a few years, it's up to you. But again, like I'm saying, this is the best possible time for us to be getting into this. With all of our younger talents as well, being even possibly scouted for big teams academies. I mean, look, we're all going over to Europe and it's just going to be a great time. All of these superstars coming out of Canada. I can't wait. We couldn't be any more proud of these boys. As the men have risen to the number 33 rank in the FIFA rankings. It is the highest we have ever been in our history. So, we were also labeled the most improved side in 2021 by FIFA as we had risen 39 places since the end of 2022, more than anybody else. Not to mention that we are the only team in the North American region to still be unbeaten, of course. And what these rankings now mean is when it comes to the World Cup and the draw, we'll be put into the third pot instead of the fourth, which would give us a way tougher task. Because look, now we won't necessarily be in the group of death. Because if you're in last place, I mean, look, you're going to end up with the big boys such as France, Germany, Spain. I mean, those are all of the crazy teams. And with this pushing us a little bit higher in the ranks, it could help us even make it out of the group stage, which again... I am super confident. I th I believe that we will. I mean, I don't see why we wouldn't. We're a super passionate side, and the boys are just raring to go as it's been a long time coming. So, just like we should be doing with the Olympics, we should all come together as a country and be ready to cheer the boys on right before the World Cup, and we need to get the job done. So, let's all get together and keep cheering on the boys. So, I would like to hear your thoughts on the team, but that seems we have all the time for today. I've been Garrett Werner. Thanks for listening to Box to Box. See you next time on Box to Box. You're listening to the content producers, content produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Welcome to Hanging with Hayden. I'm your host, Hayden Lamarant. This week, I want to talk about Wayne Gretzky, or the great one, we also like to call him. The greatest hockey player of all time who had a stellar NHL career between four teams, the Edmonton Oilers, the Los Angeles Kings, the St. Louis Blues, and the New York Rangers. During his great career, he was involved in two trades. He was traded from the Oilers to the Kings, and then the Kings to the Blues. Now, we know how his career turned out, but what about the players he was traded for? How did their careers turn out? I'm going to investigate how the careers faced against the Great Ones, and if they were fair trades. That's all coming up on Hanging with Hayden. Alright, on to the first trade. So after winning the Stanley Cup, and putting up 149 points in the 1987-88 season. In the offseason, Gretzky was traded with two other players to the Kings for Jimmy Carson, Martin Gillinass, $15 million in cash, and two first-round picks. So the first player in the trade headed to Edmonton was Jimmy Carson. Carson was drafted second overall by the Kings in the 1986 draft and went on to have a very mediocre career he played for five teams over 13 seasons in the NHL. 
He scored 561 points in 626 games. Also in his first season with the Oilers, Carson scored 100 points. What's pretty impressive after trying to fill skates of a hockey god. Um, the second player involved in this trade was Martin Gellinass. Gellinass was drafted 7th overall in the 1988 draft by the Kings and went on to have an okay career playing for lots of teams. Play, he played over 1,200 games and scoring 660 points. And after his playing career, Gellinass did some coaching with the Nashville Predators Calgary Flames, only like player development and um, assistant coaching jobs and nothing too major. And to wrap up this trade, all I want to say is that the first round draft picks that were added in this trade didn't really pan out. I did my research and any of the players, the two players that are drafted with these draft picks didn't have really good careers. And I bet if I even said their names, you wouldn't even know who the heck they were. Now, after seven and a half great seasons in Los Angeles, Gretzky was traded once again, but this time to the St. Louis Blues, for Patrice Tardif, Roman Vopat, and Craig Johnson, plus two draft picks. Now, I couldn't find what round these picks were for, but I'm guessing probably the top four rounds. And unlike earlier, while I was talking about the, each player in the first trade, individually, sadly, with the players involved in this trade, I can't because even after all the research I did, none of these players played over 200 games or scored over 70 points each in their NHL careers. What tells me they weren't anywhere near even a quarter of how great Wayne Gretzky was were three of them combined. And for the draft picks, I'm guessing the players chosen with the picks weren't that great either because I couldn't find any information on them too. So I don't know what to say. There's not much I can talk about this trade because there's not much information about it. And I guess in my own opinion about this trade, what it basically St. Louis got Wayne Gretzky for bigger rocks. So in conclusion to these Wayne Gretzky trades, all I can say is that in the 80s and 90s, GMs did not know how to trade because for a hockey god, Edmonton got back mediocre players. And then for a hockey god to St. Louis, Los the Los Angeles Kings got garbage players. So I don't know what happened. And also, I gotta say, draft picks in the 80s and 90s were garbage too. I don't know what it was. Maybe if you weren't the first overall pick, it, everything just went downhill for players after that. I don't know. But anyways, I'm Hayden Lamarant, and this was Hanging with Hayden. You've been listening to the content producers, projects produced by the radio broadcasting students at Durham College. Do you have an idea or a podcast to share? Send it to us here at Discovery, the radio show for podcasters on 105.9 The Region. You're listening to the Millennial Balance Podcast brought to you by 105.9 The Region. I'm Shalise Backus. I'm Afwa Ba. Hope everyone's keeping warm. You know, it's been like a weird roller coaster yeah. of weather, like, but I feel like that's typical Canadian weather. It isn't really it? is. We've felt like every type of weather yes. in the last week. And I hope you've got the, the painkillers on deck for shoveling all that Woo! snow. Oh, boy. <laughs> The way that if you don't shovel that off quick and it turns into that sort of like brick house. Oh, ice. yeah. <laughs> Especially 
mm-hmm. after like the plow passes if you live in a house like it's good luck. over it's over it's over but, but anyway yeah. that's not what we're talking about right now <laughs> february is also known for black history month you know it and uh, we thought it would be super cool to have a local personality i guess you could say that's one way to describe her she's definitely a personality but she is the owner and operator of the coconut village spa in aurora fiona how's it going it's amazing. <laughs> How are you ladies doing? We are. Well, I'm doing great, well, Julia. Yes, I'm fabulous. Thank <laughs> you so much for joining us. You are just such a beacon of light, and I thought we have to have you on the show. Yes, Aww. tropical vibes all the way through. <laughs> yes. Now, let me just tell you. So, uh, quick backstory. We did uh, a little contest with the Coconut Village Spa uh, last month, and I got the chance to go and visit Fiona at the spa. And let me just tell you, it is just Caribbean vibes. <laughs> as soon as you step in she's got the reggae music playing on blast like i love it so much i was like you forgot that there was like 20 centimeters of snow outside as soon as you walk in exactly. there. all right fiona why don't you tell us a little bit about your come up and your hustle and what got you to where you are now so i was like 16 i think in jamaica or no yeah 16 or so and got the news that well, you know what, you're not going to be able to graduate. We don't. We can't afford graduation. You're kind of on your own. Mm. And I thought, Lord Jesus, what's going to happen to me now? You know, my grandfather who raised me looked at me and he's like, you know, Fiona, you will never suffer. So in Jamaica, we have this little thing where you can sell, little kids sell bad juice, candies and stuff in the market. And he used this phrase and he said, you know what, you will never suffer. Even if you have to sell bad juice in the market, you will never suffer. And so from there, guys, I, I thought, what's going to happen to me? I picked up myself and went to Kingston. I don't know where I'm going. I've never gone to Kingston really ever in my life, being in Jamaica and I live in Clarendon in the country. And I thought, I'm going to find somebody who takes me in as a living helper. And so I, I started there just working as a living helper at 16, 17. And then my mom was already in Canada from a long time because I didn't grow up with her. And so she started. That was a typical Caribbean thing. Once mm-hmm. your parents travel... The expectation is that they're going to sponsor you and you come up. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I came here where, you know, my mom put in some sponsorship and I came up here with my other siblings. So when I came here in 98, it was it, it was after three months I ended up being on my own. And so it was tough. It was tough. But, yeah, made it. How was the transition? I mean, living in Jamaica for a good 16, 17 years, it's a good chunk of your life. And then to come here, did you find anything to the that... snow. Yes, <laughs> to the snow <laughs> that welcomed you well. well we came here on October 16th, and I guess it was already fall, whatever they call it then, you know. <laughs> and then by winter, I got lost because now it's a total different layout. You know, you can't see leaves anymore. And, you know, because I'm a Caribbean, we mark everything by that tree there. This, So, you know, you get lost in your apartment. But no, um, the biggest struggle was the loneliness. Here it was different. We're in an apartment. You don't see anybody. Everybody keeps their head straight. You go in. When you're coming from a place that you're shouting next door to the next person and you're talking to everybody, and I'm a teenager, right? So I'm 18 or 19, going on 19 by that December. So that was the biggest shock, just the fact that you can connect with people. And, of course, having to shave my legs, yes. <laughs> Coming here in high school, and they're like, oh, you have to shave your legs. I'm like, oh, I never have to shave my legs in Jamaica. It was a sexy thing back home to have hairy legs. But other than that, that would be my immediate biggest um, biggest shock. You don't have to shave your legs. Nobody has right? to shave their legs. But, I mean, that's a conversation for another day. I mean, 
in my head, I'm, I've already had that conversation. It's done. I ain't doing it <laughs> unless I absolutely have to. All right, Fiona, yeah. take take us through flash forwarding a little bit, you yeah. know, to you opening the Coconut Village Spa. I remember you telling me uh, about you deciding to kind of shift gears a little bit and, and study. When I did the spa, I was already running my daycare for 13 years here in Aurora. It's a licensed home daycare. And then I... I was going through the phase of wanting to expand. You know, I did summer camp outside of my home in different facilities that we rent and stuff like that. But I wanted more. I was raised by farmers, so I think entrepreneurship is just in my blood. And to back up, I was going through separation, and I would always go to a spa or a salon to feel like I want a little pick-me-up. But nobody knows my name. There was no connection. It was, I just never felt connected. There was, just, there was something just missing. I just wanted more than just getting my nails done. And so when I thought about it and we looking for a space, I thought, what if I just, you know, out of curiosity, see if I could find a space to open a salon with no knowledge, no background in it. And we found it. So this was December of 2018. And so we just kind of just run with it. We got it. We took the lease. I start going to Canadian Beauty College simultaneously while running my salon in the night, in the evenings, on weekends, <laughs> wow. and, and did it. We, we opened our higher staff, and Coconut Village came alive. It was just unconscious but intentional. We have an intentionality that I wanted a space where, where people's mental health and well-being will be priority. And, and so, yeah, we've been able to do it. And girl, as you can tell from being here for the minute, <laughs> it is awesome. Of course, this pandemic hits. Was there any sort of part of you that was basically concerned that you'd sort of be able to weather the storm given the different sort of lockdowns that was on your industry back and forth over these past two years? I'm going to say this word kind of lightly, but as a black woman and as a person that came here in Canada and had to figure it out in a new country uh, on our own, three, you know, at three months old in a country, and then got pregnant in the first year and have to figure it all out by herself. This was nothing to me in one sense. I knew how to navigate. I knew how to be resilient. I knew how to function. The only struggle was you were told that you can't ever move from your house. <laughs> when you can't move from your house, then what do you do? Like, you know what I mean? I would clean house. I'll do whatever because there's nothing above me as long as I want to provide for my family and myself. So... Those were the challenges were the fact that you're told you can't do anything at all. I had to get creative because I love cooking. And I thought, well, somebody asked me to cook for them. Why did they pay me? So I started cooking for people during the pandemic because you can't do anything. So mm-hmm. I would cook, and I didn't cook and sell individual food. A person will call me and say, hey, I have a family of eight or I have an event of eight people. Cook me anything, anything. I was making pierogas. It didn't matter with jerk sauce, anything. Then I started to make my own jerk sauce, and people were buying it, and it was just amazing. And so those were just some of the ways that I had to cope if I were to look at the fact that this is a new business I'm just getting my name out there and now they're cramping my style then you know what you will lose focus so those were some of the strategies that I had to quickly put in place so it was a bad time but it was also an amazing experience to us to never get too comfortable as an entrepreneur. You just never get comfortable. That's amazing. You're just a jack of all trades. Yeah. Like every, <laughs> ask Fiona to do anything. She can do it. I'm just like pierogies and jerk sauce. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. 
We're going to have to place an order because now, now I'm very curious. <laughs> and Fiona, I just want to say, like, do you feel like your ability to adapt, to pivot so easily, you think that has to do, you did mention this, but you think that does have to do with your upbringing and what was instilled in you? There's absolutely no doubt. When you know that you don't have an option, you don't think about it. Adapting, you don't even think you're adapting. You know it's what you do. So when it's what you do, it's just what you do. You're not even thinking. So how you raise, um, the other day I was doing something, and I thought, you know what, now it makes sense. I came to Canada running a day, and I realized I have to kiss a kid boo-boo and say, oh, baby, I'm so sorry you fall. And that's cute, and there's a balance, and we really need that. But growing up, you fall, you better get up and brush yourself mm-hmm. off and move forward. <laughs> so, yes, those contribute to the tenacity, the courage, the strength, to not waiting for someone to acknowledge you, to not wait to be seen, but making yourself visible. Fiona, I want to know, what does Black History Month, basically, what, what does it mean to you? I try to not say Black History Month. I just say Black History Celebration. Um, mm-hmm. Black History for me is, because it's February, I feel like it's an opportunity for us to not get comfortable, to be reminded that there's work to be done, to appreciate and celebrate where we have come, and to and also to see where we're moving forward mentally for ourselves, not even to the person that we're holding responsible, but for myself. It's where am I? Have I really released my shame, released my unforgiveness? Am I releasing my mental thing from what slavery? And what am I focused now? So black issue to me is, hey, this is where we are. These are the things to celebrate. Um, while oppression is a part of uh, black history, it doesn't define us. So I don't sit here and say it's another time to have a pity party to say, hey, look what you did, look how you did it. But for me, I look and I say, I'm so grateful for this. Now we have events that we plan for East called Black History in May, where we're going to do a Mother's Day thing with wine and arts and rating. Then we have Black History coming up in July. So now it's to be intentional to just live. It's who we are. It's not an event. And I constantly try to remind everybody around me that Black History is not an event. It is a celebration of what we are. When we stop in February, it's to say, hey, where are we? Have we changed some biases? How are we breaking down barriers and red tapes and things that really putting others behind? Where are we and how we? How can I personally contribute to those changes that I want to see? I literally like. Thank I'm, you yes, for that. Yes, exactly. That was exactly what we needed to hear, yeah. especially at a time like this. And, you know, I'm just thinking back. I mean, you, you said it's not about you being black. It's not about you being a woman. But you know what? It is. Because if you were to think back 20, 30 years ago, uh, a black woman came up pretty much by herself running a successful business you you'd be surprised and now at the the place we are now hearing that it's it's means for celebration to mm-hmm. me and i think i appreciate your message too in the sense that you didn't look at you know subconscious um, labels that people place on you or that even we place on ourselves like you just went out yeah. there and did it mm-hmm. and it's such it it shouldn't be such a rare quality but it's such it's such a quality that is so attractive to to generations. I mean, whether you knew that you were doing it or not, or yes. you know you were inspiring or not, thank you for inspiring. Thank you. Uh, I do hear you, and I do agree and understand. I, I do. Um, being as old-fashioned I was raised, I just know that you don't always give attention to your symptoms. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so the symptom of, of 
what might be or who I am. We know that it contributes. I know that being black can contribute to some of the setback. I know it can be, but I just don't make it an emphasis. But you're right. We do set the tone and we do liberate others to, to, to do the same or to find the courage to do the same because they said, hey, she did it, I, I can. Um, and, and I think that's what we, we can do for each other, just can, can constantly be there to motivate, encourage, and, and share and just be that example. And that's exactly what Black History is about. And we're not even going to call it Black History Month. We're going to call it a celebration. We're celebrating all year round. Exactly. Forever. Exactly. <laughs> that's it. And, and Fiona, if uh, people want to join in on your celebrations, uh, where can we get more information? Where can we follow you, uh, find more information about the spa? Yeah, so they can find me at Coconut Village Spa. If they're on Instagram, um, they can go to Coconut, sorry, they can go to oralblackcommunity.com if they want to know what we're doing for black history. I'm so excited. On Sunday, we're doing this amazing thing. I call it diversity in the ice because as a Caribbean person, I think it's so important for us to embrace some of the things that we have as Canadian, and it's the, and it's the winter, so it being the longest time, I'm like, I need to can do more with my kids. As black people, it gets more of us getting, include ourselves in sports that normally excludes us, or we mm-hmm. think we don't see enough of us in. So we have a hockey team here um, that is partnering with us, and Sports Aurora that's partnering with us to give us, you know, help us to just go and learn and, and, and be a part of our community. So, yeah, if people want to know about that, they can go to ourblockcommunity.com, and it's all there. Amazing, amazing. Fiona, thank you so much for joining us. This has been such an amazing conversation. It was a pleasure. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. Thank you for all you do. Really appreciate you guys and the platform. It does matter. So thank you so much. Don't forget, you can always stream this episode of Millennial Balance anywhere you get your podcasts and check us out at 1059theregion.com. And you can find Fiona on Instagram at Coconut Village Nail Spa. Discovery, the radio show for podcasters, exclusive to 105.9 The Region. Expand your audience and extend your reach. Send us your podcast, info at 1059theregion.com.